We're finishing the series Operation Spiritual Gifts today. And I want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Many of us have the wrong idea about what it means to bear good fruit. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about agriculture and farming and, and fruit, seed time and harvest. It says will be in existence until the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus cursed a fig tree. It, you know, Jesus himself was a seed that came to this earth. He was planted and on the third day he got out of the grave victorious, amen, and he left a harvest for us to gather, amen. So the Bible speaks a lot about fruit. Our text today is Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, would you turn there with me? Uh, really beginning with verse 13, we're going to dive through this whole text, but really the emphasis is on verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And I've asked Brother Toby to leave that up just for a few minutes as I dive into the Word today because I really want this to grab a hold of your spirit. I want it to sink into your spirit because the Word of God is powerful. It's more powerful than a two-edged sword. The Word of God needs to get on the inside of you. So I want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit. We've spent time talking to you about all the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation gifts, the ministerial gifts, the mysterious gifts, the power of the prophetic word, the gifts of tongues, all these different things we've been teaching you on for nearly three months. And so we get to this passage of Scripture about the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to disappoint you this morning, but the fruit of the Spirit is not a spiritual gift. The fruit of the Spirit is the outflow of what God has already done in your life. The Holy Spirit is our motivation, our comforter, our deliverer, our conviction. It convicts us, it cleanses us, it comforts us, it blesses us. The Holy Spirit makes life worth living and makes life worth dying. If you have the authentic Holy Ghost inside of you, it will change your life. The Holy Spirit is the unnamed servant. The Holy Spirit accomplishes things when our flesh is weak. The Holy Spirit heals people that the doctors have given up on. The Holy Spirit moves people, shifts people. The Holy Spirit can move a drug addict from being bound by addiction into praising the Lord in a church. The Holy Spirit can take a drunk from the bar and put him into a small group. The Holy Spirit can take someone who's dying and bring life to them and to the abundance. The Holy Spirit makes Christianity worth doing. I feel sorry for the people who don't embrace it. I feel sorry for the people who don't have the Holy Ghost. I feel sorry for churches that don't teach about the Holy Ghost because to me, church and religion is a waste of time and is absolutely boring without the power of the Holy Spirit. Who on earth would want to go through all of this without power, without an authentic dunamis, Acts to power on our lives. Who would want to be religious? Ugh. Without the Holy Ghost. Man, I need the comforter. I need that divine momentum. And we've experienced that these last few months. God's done some supernatural things in many of our services so we understand the value of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with with the Holy Ghost. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the... If you want to embrace the kingdom, 
then you have to serve the king and love the king. Then all of these things will be added to your life. The fruit of the spirit God puts on your life as a sign to those who don't know him. Because if you have fruit, you don't respond like you want to respond. If you've got love, godly love, agape love that serves and doesn't look for anything in return, then you can't treat people like the world treats them. There's something different about you. D.L. Moody, the founder of the Moody Bible Institute, was teaching his Bible college students many moons ago, and he had an empty glass on his podium, and he asked his doctrinal students, how can you get the oxygen out of this glass? And they were thinking of, of inventions and all of these ways and, and, and how to trap it and all of these different things. And he finally gets to the end of it and he pours water in it. And he says, the only way to get the oxygen out of this glass is to fill it up. The only way to get the world out of you is to be filled up with the Holy Ghost. We all battle and that's what Paul's talking about. The Greek word for fruit is karpos and it refers to the natural outflow of a living thing. It is singular, showing that all the characteristics of the fruit must function as one thing. So legalism and religion will tell you to work on your love, you know, memorize scriptures about love, work on your actions, and then you can embrace love. But no, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you'll bear this fruit. You'll bear this fruit. Your life will be a testimony to these characteristics of fruit. So Paul's writing to the Galatian church. It's one of my favorite epistles. From his first missionary journey, he's writing. It's one of his most passionate attacks against legalism and religion. And he talks about being justified by faith. And he talks about faith that doesn't come by works, but it comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about how faith leads us to true freedom not religious deeds. One of the greatest attributes of the Holy Spirit in my life is the freedom that I now have. Because religion keeps you bound up in chains. Religion keeps you feeling guilty all the time. Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was praying for people. Many of them had medical illnesses, but, but a great portion of them had emotional issues. Why? Because they feel like God's mad at them, that he hates them. They're ashamed to come before a holy God. That's just not true, friend. On your worst day, God loved you. On your worst day, God loved you. And he still has a plan for your life. But Paul would call them fools. He'd say, who has bewitched you that you'd want to go back under the law when you've received grace through faith? I want to say that to some of our churches in America. Like, who has bewitched you? Who has fooled you? Why would you want to go back under rules and regulations when you've already received grace through faith? Paul's saying, listen, what's wrong with you? You received the gospel by the Holy Spirit and now you're being made perfect by your flesh? Like you got filled with the Holy Spirit, you got saved because of the Holy Spirit, you got delivered because of the Holy Spirit, but now you want to fix yourself in the flesh. Doesn't work. Flesh is weak. It's a curse from Adam. Started in the Garden of Eden, your flesh naturally wants to do the wrong things, but you have no other place to live right now. So you're in a constant battle. So Paul's dealing with them about circumcision because the Gentile Christians were living in freedom and the Jewish Christians were saying, listen, you gotta be circumcised. So they were going back under the law 
And he has a conflict with the apostle Peter because he called him a hypocrite because he says, you know, you preach to the Gentiles and you see all these people getting saved and you preach grace and you preach freedom, but you get around your Jewish brothers and you stick your nose up at the Gentiles and you're trying to ride both sides of the fence. So there's a confrontation going on in this text and it deals with not only circumcision, but cohabitation. We've got to learn to exist together in one union. As Christians, we've got to learn to love one another. We've got to learn to speak the truth in love. Then the crucifixion to the law. The law has to be crucified. You've got to crucify the law so that the Holy Spirit can fill you up and you can be all that God calls you to be. You say, prove it. Paul says in chapter two, verse 19, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you move from circumcision to cohabitation to the crucifixion of the law, the crucifixion to religion. You gotta crucify all the past stuff that's held you back and then you become a champion of grace because when you get to chapter six, he says, brethren, those of you who are spiritual, restore somebody which means to mend the net. So when you accomplish this process, then you're gonna be a minister, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter five and six, of reconciliation, which means you move from the sidelines into the game and you see your life as a seed, as a kingdom purpose to re reconcile people back into the kingdom of God and to restore people. So you can go from struggling to get along with other believers to a champion of grace. And that's what God has called us to. It says in chapter five, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't be burdened or, or be put into slavery again by a yoke of bondage. Verse 13, our text. For you brethren have been called to liberty. Everybody say freedom. Only do not use liberty or freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, we've taught you this, just because you have freedom and just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean you can go around doing whatever you want to do in the flesh. If you have that mindset, you're never filled with the Holy Spirit to begin with because you're trying to take advantage of the goodness of God. And a person that's trying to do that or that thinks like that never had the authentic to begin with. But through love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, why don't we walk in the spirit? If we do that, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, everybody say spirit. spirit. You are not under the law. So don't bring me your rules. I'm not under your law. I'm led by the Spirit, amen? Don't try to put me in bondage again with your rules and your prejudice and your past. I'm not going back there. You can hang out there if you want because you've got a freedom too. But I don't want to live in the past. I want to press on to that upward call that Christ has for me. I don't want to talk about the good old days. They weren't that good anyways. You ever notice that when somebody dies, they all of a sudden become a legend, but when they were alive, nobody gave them the honor they were due? An athlete, when they retire, they're the greatest that ever was, but they didn't get the respect they deserved when they were achieving all of these things. 
That's the way people are. We like to memorialize the past. When God has called us and has called us to the future, the kingdom is always about what's to come. The kingdom is about what's to come. It goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in your time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, most of you, when I read this scripture, what do you think? When I say those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Most of us raised in religion, here's what we think about that verse. Well, people who do that are going to hell. Am I right? People who do that are going to hell. They're going to hell. That's not what this means. It's not what it means at all. There's a difference between the kingdom of salvation and the kingdom of God. You see, we as a church, we want to teach you and train you to go share your faith. I believe in that. I do that. But the Lord revealed something to me two days ago in my study. Jesus preached kingdom. He didn't preach four steps to salvation. He didn't preach all of this manipulation to get people to share their faith. He taught, if you repent, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, the kingdom of heaven touches earth through you. And that as you walk in the spirit, people are going to be magnetically drawn to you because of what I've done in you. He says, heal the sick, cast out devils, walk on new ground. Jesus taught the kingdom. So we have made evangelism a kingdom of salvation. And salvation is certainly a part of the kingdom. We want people to get saved and get their ticket into heaven. But the kingdom of God is so much more than that. You gain entryway into the kingdom through salvation. So when you enter the kingdom, you do that by faith because of grace. For it is by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. So you enter into the kingdom like Nicodemus because of grace by faith. So God's not going to undo your entryway into the kingdom. But this has to do with what you inherit. He says if you do these things, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. If you want to live beneath your privilege and live in bondage the rest of your life, you may skate in with your golden ticket into heaven. That's between you and God. But you'll miss your inheritance on earth and in heaven. He said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you'll be like the prodigal son. You'll have squandered your inheritance and you'll live less than and beneath your privilege. And God has called you to live an exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think life. But you have to understand you are a son, you are a daughter, you are gifted, you are blessed, and you have to tap in and activate the hero within, which is the Holy Spirit. When you activate your hero within, when you activate the Jesus on the inside of you, things begin to change, circumstances begin to change, cities need to be, begin to be changed, and countries, nations begin to be changed because of the hero within, the Holy Ghost. So if you want to inherit the kingdom, what does it look like? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It looks a lot like fruit. 
If you have the kingdom on the inside of you, you're going to bear some fruit. As a father and as a pastor and as a leader, I'm always looking for fruit, not to pick people's fruit. Fruit goes through three stages, green, ripe, and rotten. So everybody's in that process. Green, ripe, and rotten. It's not my job to pick your fruit, but I have to observe as a leader fruit. If you want to teach a class, but you ain't never led anybody to Jesus, and you've never read the Bible, we might want to train you a few weeks. Okay? Doesn't mean you can't pray. Doesn't mean you can't worship. Doesn't mean you can't serve here. There's plenty of stuff for you to do. But if you have a call to do that, let's start to develop that. And let's start to give you bite-sized opportunities. Let's let the Holy Spirit govern that process. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The first three characteristics have to do with how we relate to God. The next three are how we relate to others. And the final three are how we relate to ourselves, how we activate the Holy Ghost in our lives. The works of the flesh are actions. When you read murder and selfish ambition and all these kinds of sins, these are actions. But the fruit of the Spirit is about our attitude. Somebody say attitude. It's about our character. The reason people don't go to church is because they've seen the character of the people in the church. They don't see any difference in us. So they're not drawn to the kingdom. If we started operating in kingdom, signs and wonders of the power of God, and we started forgiving those people that have hurt us, we, we started loving people, and we started going the extra mile, that might shift somebody's thinking. It might cause someone to change their schedule or their routine to see what this church stuff is all about. But that starts with you. So number one, it's a call to freedom. Everybody say freedom. If you have been called to liberty, do not use liberty as an opportunity of the flesh, but serve one another, love one another, serve your neighbor, do the right things with the kingdom of God. The lust of the flesh is our natural pull towards sin. The Holy Spirit gives us a desire to obey and bear good fruit. When you have the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but the perfect one lives inside of you, the anointed one who brings his anointing on your life so that when you're out of alignment, the spirit convicts you and you shift back into alignment, into the things of God. It's a call to freedom, but it's not just a call to freedom. It's a call to free others. Everybody say free others. People are in bondage. They're in chains. They're waiting for someone to invite them. This Who's Your One campaign is not just a cute thing we Baptists are doing. It has eternal ramifications attached to it. There are people who need to be invited. They need to hear the gospel. They need someone to love them. They need someone to get them. They need someone to speak to them. And it won't happen if you don't do it. It's important. It's a call to free others. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Beware lest you be consumed by one another. We've got a model unity, friend. God commands us to do this. He doesn't ask us politely. He commands us to live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in this text seven times. We are commanded to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, battle the flesh with the Spirit, and embrace the Spirit. Receive our inheritance from God. 
So it's not just a call to freedom, it's a call to free others. But there's a conflict that we all face. A conflict we all face. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law anymore. So we have a dual nature going on inside of us. Our old nature wants to control our thoughts and our bodies and the way we do things, but the Spirit of God also longs to control our lives. So we have this war going on. Many of us wonder why we see so much mental illness, and I believe in mental illness, but I also believe in demons. And we all have struggles. They call it in the medical world schizophrenia or bipolar. It means you're up one second and you're down the next. You got different personalities. You got different things warring against you. It sounds like what Paul's talking about here. He knew a thing or two about this. He lived with a thorn in his flesh. He got his brains beat out. He had seizures. He'd lived a life of murder and hating Christians and he was called on Damascus Road. God messed him up. So he'd lived two lives. So he knew about the dual nature. And he understood what it meant to war against this dual nature. He said in Romans, the things I do, I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. What does wretched mean, that word in the Greek? It means to be wounded from a battle. How many of you feel like that in the Christian life sometimes? Man, you're just wounded. You're beat up. You don't know if you're getting it right. You, you don't feel affirmation. Your relationships aren't real. You're not seeing the fruit that God's called you to. Paul understood that. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, in Tarsus, when a man was convicted of murder, they would tie the corpse of the victim to the back until the rotting flesh infected the murderer's body. That's how they handled that. So if you murdered somebody, they would tie the corpse to your back and you'd have to carry that dead corpse till it infected your body. Some of you are carrying around your old self. You're carrying around man's opinion. You're carrying around your addiction. You're carrying around your diagnosis. You're carrying around all the hell and all the junk that's been spoken over you. And you've carried it so long it started to infect you. And it's changed you and it's keeping you from your inheritance. It's time to shrug off the old man. Ask God to fill you up from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and be led by the Spirit of God. Quit operating in the flesh. Quit operating in intellect. Allow the God of the universe to come into your life and shift you. There's a battle that we face and then there's the curse that we fight. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. It means they're obvious. Adultery. When you're married and you have sex out of side of your marriage, that's adultery. Fornication is sex before you're married. Any kind of sex before you're married. Uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, all of those things we've mentioned. We've got sexual sins, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness. It is the word for infected wound. A person that is unfit for society. The Bible says, for all of sin and false sword of the glory of God, but some stuff, friend, just makes me sick. Messing with little kids makes me sick. I don't understand. I've committed plenty of sins. I'm not perfect, but I don't understand why anyone 
saved or not saved, Christian or not Christian, would want to put their mess on some child. I don't get it. Uncleanliness. Now we've got Hollywood defending pedophiles. It's their need. You gotta be kidding me. I understand sin, I understand struggle, but I don't understand hurting a child. Lewdness or lasciviousness. This word in biblical terms refers to a person who's ready for any pleasure. This includes anything. Weird sexual experiences, drugs, danger, whatever it is. Speeding, man, they don't care. It's a death wish. There was a season in my life where I think I had a death wish. I didn't care. That's demonic. That's trafficking with demons. Spiritual sins and sexual sins, most churches, amen to that. Let's talk about spiritual sins quickly. Idolatry. This refers to anything that takes the place of Christ in your life. Listen, we're all guilty of this in this culture. Everything is more important than this. Everything's more important than church. And it's not just this church, it's every church. I talk to pastors in, in states all over the United States. We're all dealing with the same thing. We're looking for consistency and we don't find it. We've got to put God first and seek him first if we're gonna see God do something. That starts with you. You're not to judge somebody else. Are you putting him first? Are you committing your plans unto the Lord? Or are you judging everybody? Are you picking fruit? Are you bearing fruit? I'm challenging you to let revival start on the inside of you. Idolatry, sorcery. This is translated as the misuse of drugs. You know, nowadays more and more drugs are coming to the forefront. You got people doing things now that I never even heard of when I was running in that crowd. Never even seen some of this stuff. Sorcery is any escape from planet Earth that's not of God. You can escape in your food. No amens on that. Not in a Baptist church, for sure. You can escape in your medication. You can smoke a leaf from the Earth and you can escape that way. You can escape in alcohol. You can escape in your business. You can escape in your wealth. Any escape, spiritual escape that's not of God is, is sorcery. It's of the enemy. Spiritual sins. Hatred. You hate anybody? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Come on. Strife. Jealousy. Anybody jealous of anybody? Oh, come on. I'm not talking about admiring what somebody else has. I'm talking about feeling like they don't deserve what they have. That's jealousy. You just mad because you ain't got it. You're coveting, you're angered, you're jealous, and you're trying to make excuses why you where you are and they where they are. That's God's job. That ain't your job. Once you take ownership of where you are and get up and do something about it. See, that's what, that's what we see in, in, this, in this culture today. You know, if someone accomplishes something, well, it's just because of this. No. Let's talk about why you didn't accomplish it. Let's fix it, allow the Holy Ghost to push you forth in your goals and dreams. Jealousy. 
high-tempered. Listen, I, I was on a golf course the other day. I was with one of my childhood buddies who could straight up whip you three times. He big muscular guy. And we get together. And it was just a bad day. I was playing bad anyways. I think he was cheating on the scorecard a little bit. I actually think we tied, but I think he cheated a little bit. So I wasn't in a good mood. I really didn't want to go out there. I was busy. And we had these four guys, they kept hitting into us. And my buddy's crazy, like he will whip you. He's saved and baptized, and I did all that, but we're still working through some stuff. <laughs> he still whip you, okay? And these guys were hitting into us. And I don't mean like, we had six people in front of us on the next hole, so we couldn't hurry up. And they were hitting into us. And I could tell he was getting agitated. I was getting agitated. So then finally we get to 18. We're on the middle of hole 18. The ball runs right up to my feet. They literally were trying to hit me. And for just a moment, I had an old school vision, Seth. <laughs> and if I get fired up, he gets real fired up. So I started to get fired up, and I had a vision of me getting my club, getting out of that, that golf cart, and me hitting that ball right at their head. And I started moving towards that, and the Holy Ghost said, now, wait a minute. You're going to lose your whole ministry over four drunk idiots on a golf course. I said, no. Well, my buddy was dealing with the same thing. He, Holy Spirit really didn't capture him. He stood up and... He said some things. And I said, man, I got to get out of here. Like, we can't be getting in a fight. I can't do it. But that's about your temper. You know, when you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can fly off the handle. You can punch somebody. You can get road rage. You go crazy. But if you got the Holy Ghost, you might start to go that way, but something reigns you back in. Self-seeking. You know, a lot of successful people are self-seeking. That doesn't make it godly. If it's all about you, what you can accomplish, what you can attain, what you can achieve, and it's not about the kingdom, then you fall into this category. See, we love sexual sins and political sins. But we don't like to talk about spiritual sins. Spiritual sins. What's the church dealing with? The next one it mentions in our text is division. Listen, if you say anything about somebody in the church, Paul dealt with this even back then. You have an opinion and you don't take it to the person that matters that can do anything with it. You are gossiping. You're causing division. You're sowing discord among the brethren. I don't care how spiritual you think you are, you are in sin. The Bible teaches us, those of us who are spirit-filled, to handle things biblically, face-to-face. -face. Everybody say face-to-face. Begrudging what another one has, drunkenness, outrage. These are all described as sins against the spiritual community. There's a curse we fight. But finally, there's a certainty of fruit. How many of you want fruit that remains? That's what we need. If you want people to be brought into the kingdom, they need to see fruit coming out of your life. 
The natural product of a living thing. The natural outflow of a living thing is what it means. The fruit of the Spirit is a complete picture of a Spirit-filled person. The word, as I said, means all of these nine characteristics coming together in one unit. So let's cover them and we'll close. Love. Agape love is God's kind of love. It means to serve. Storche is motherly love. Phileo is brotherly love. And eros is sexual love. The kind Kelly's got for me. We don't see that one in the Bible. Agape is service love. It's God's love. The others are great. You hear a lot about phileo. That's brotherly love, man. I love you. I love you. That's what we see in church, man. We love each other. But when the rubber meets the road is do you love someone enough to serve them when you've been offended? Do you love someone enough to forgive them when they don't deserve it? Do you love someone enough to stay faithful and to go the extra mile? That's what real love is. That's what agape is. Then it says joy. Again, these first three are about our relationship with God. Inward contentment regardless of outward conditions. Gladness and delight. The Bible says that his joy will remain in us. And that in his presence there is fullness of joy. David, when he committed adultery and he blew it, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to have joy. Some of you need a restoration in the area of joy today. Peace, knowing that it's in God's hands. Shalom. If you're anxious, you can't sleep, you're worried, that's not the peace of the Holy Spirit. You need that shalom spirit. Everybody just say shalom, and the peace will come. Patience and long-suffering. Ooh, y'all not gonna like this. Patience forgives until it wins. One of the disciples, Peter, I believe, asked Jesus, listen, how many times we gotta forgive these jokers? Seven times, Jesus? He said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. The biblical numerology of this basically means you've got to, your forgiveness must be unlimited. How many of you have mastered that? Nobody. Me neither. I don't even know how to do that without the Holy Ghost. I don't even forgive once or twice without the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost inside of you if you're going to bear this kind of fruit. Long-suffering. You need to understand quickly that forgiveness and trust are two different things. The Bible says we have to forgive. You mess with me, I've got to forgive you. I don't have a choice in that. If I want the kingdom, if I want my inheritance, I've got to forgive you. Jesus said if you're not forgiving the people that have hurt you, I won't forgive you. Forgiveness is a serious thing. It's a real thing. You've got to forgive people that have hurt you. If you haven't, that's why you're still in bondage. Forgive that person that hurt you. But trust is a different thing. Tell me in the Bible where it says I have to trust you. I'll wait. It says trust in who? The Lord God, your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart. Lean not on your what? Your own understanding. Trust is earned. If I confide in you, we covenant together, we start doing things together, and you bash me and I find out about it, I got to forgive you. I don't have to trust you. I don't have to put you on my counsel. I don't have to hire you. You don't have to do that for me. If I've hurt you and you've come to me, I've got to earn my trust back. Forgiveness is not an option, but you've got to earn somebody's trust. So when you forgive someone, give them the opportunity to earn your trust back. Are you with me? It doesn't happen overnight. People act super spiritual. I forgave them and then we were best friends. Pfft, bull. 
Trust is earned. I can't tell you how many mentors in my life, when they saw me transitioning over a five-year period to become pastor, said, don't trust anybody. I'm like, what is this, the mafia? <laughs> but it's men and women that have been beaten and, and they've, they've lived a wretched life, wounded from a battle in ministry. They've survived it, but they've learned to trust no one but the Father. And I'm going to tell you, in this life, you, be, you get filled with the Spirit by embracing the Father. You'll bear fruit if you're intimate with the King and intimate with the Father. Fruit will come that will remain. But if you put your faith in people, they will let you down every single time. But you've got to forgive them. You've got to love them. You've got to walk in joy and peace. You've got to be patient with them. Kindness and goodness. This means to help others with a spirit of gentleness. Goodness, godly character, truth and love, the riches of God's grace. Be good to people. Faithfulness, faith demonstrated through trustworthiness and loyalty. The last three have to do with you. God's looking for stewards that will be found faithful. Are you faithful? If you're faithful over a few things, he'll make you a ruler over many. Are you faithful to do what God has called you to do? Gentleness and meekness. Are you teachable? Are you coachable? Are you considerate? Do you know how to deal with strength under pressure? That's a spirit of gentleness and it's a spirit of meekness. Self-control. You'll bear this because you've allowed the Holy Spirit to take over your body. And you've decided, I'm going to walk in the Spirit and I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, some of you speak in tongues, but you ain't got a clue about bearing fruit. Yeah, some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life speak in tongues. Some of the meanest doggone people I've ever met can speak in tongues loudly. But they ain't got no fruit. They'll hold a grudge quicker than anybody. Demons all over them. Listen, you can speak a spiritual language. That's why the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not the gift of tongues. It's this. It's the fruit. The gift of tongues is the down payment on your inheritance, but it's not the evidence. The evidence is what kind of fruit you bear it. Did you forgive that person that hurts you? Are you operating love, joy, and peace? Are you gentle with people? Have you forgiven those that have hurt you? Have you went the extra mile? That's what it's about. It only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. John Bunyan said this, if my life is fruitless, it doesn't matter who praises me, and if my life is fruitful, it doesn't matter who criticizes me. So to live this life, you have to live it in the life, in the light of Jesus Christ, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh because you're intimate with the King and you've received all that he has for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for fruit that remains. Lord, I'm thankful that you loved us all enough that you came and you died for us on a cross and you got up out of the grave and you left us the Holy Spirit Lord, you left us that. That was our seed for the harvest. Lord, you've called us to do more and to be more and to strive in your kingdom. But Lord, we can't do that in the flesh. We can't do that in our mind. We need your spirit to move like it has today and heal, save, and deliver. So Father God, I pray...
for this congregation, Lord, that they would take time to be intimate with you. They would take time to love you. They would spend time activating their hero within the Holy Spirit every day. Lord, that you would be the most important thing in their lives and your church, the local assembly, would be priority. Father God, I know there are people in here that are listening to this that don't know you as Lord and Savior. So before they can inherit the kingdom, they need entry to the kingdom. So Father God, I pray right now that the same Holy Spirit that met us here to heal and deliver will also save. So if under the sound of my voice you don't know Jesus Christ, and you don't know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven, if you'd go to hell, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible goes on to say, Paul, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So just like Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need entryway into the kingdom if you're going to walk in your inheritance. And so right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. That's how you gain entry. Some of you have already gained entry into the kingdom. You just need to activate the Holy Spirit like we did this morning. You need to activate that. Stir that gift up. Stand on your feet. I'm going to ask the pastors to move into position. If you prayed to receive Christ, we've already done ministry. This is not about more ministry. If you prayed to receive Christ, if you'd like to join this church, come and be a part of this family, I want you not to labor. I want you to come to one of these pastors quickly. And I want you to say, I've prayed with Pastor Ronnie to receive Christ, to enter the kingdom. Or I want to covenant and join with this church to help you preach the gospel, to help you touch people. I want to bear this kind of fruit. If that's you, in these next few minutes, I just want you to come to one of these pastors and ask God to touch you and fill you and use you. We may need a few more guys. Pastor Sammy, you may have to plug in today and just, just go with it and we'll let somebody else observe. You come now. Don't miss your opportunity.